Good morning, everybody. Good morning. So I heard it's a super day. <laughs> it is so strange. Uh, so much red. You know, just three, four days ago, I did not know that the Super Bowl was coming. I was at home in Belgium, and then I heard, I thought, oh. Then I checked, and I thought, oh, I'll be there for the Super Bowl party. Great. And then it took another two days to check who was actually playing. And then I realized what an impact it would have for my week here. <laughs> you know, actually, we talk a lot about football in Europe, but we don't mean the same thing <laughs> at all. We do play with the ball and with the foot. We call it football. <laughs> you know, cultures are so different. Here, you think of the big football party and you think Super Bowl. In Europe, if you think about a big football party, you never think of Super Bowl. Think of the World Cup, football World Cup. You call it soccer World Cup. Uh, but of course, every, everywhere else on earth, they call it football. <laughs> <laughs> you see, it's just cultures. We have our cultures and, and we see the world through the lens the, the, the glasses of our own culture. We see people around us with the lenses and the glasses of our, of our cultures. Even as Christians, we have like church glasses somewhere. We wear church glasses and, and we see the world around us through our church glasses with our Christian values, great, but also with our Christian traditions. Not always so great. Well, not bad, not good, just our traditions. <laughs> and uh, sometimes our Christian habits, our Christian way of life, sometimes make us see the world around us, not, maybe not always as it is really. And today, I want to take some time with you to think about how we see the world around us, how we see the people around us, how Jesus sees the people around us. And... Does it match? Well, not always. We'll see that. We like to consider ourselves as disciples of Jesus. And we're right. That's what we want to be, right? We want to be disciples of Jesus. We want to be in Christ, as says the Apostle Paul. We want to remain in Jesus, in Christ. Then the New Testament tells us, if you pretend to be in Christ, then you should, work, you should live the same way Jesus lived. That's the New Testament telling us. Actually, the, the verse does not say you should live the same way as Jesus lived. It literally says you should walk the same way Jesus walked. <laughs> and man, he walked. <laughs> and today we're going to see a story of Jesus walking. <laughs> he did a lot of walking, right? <laughs> a lot of walking with his disciples. Most of the time, he's walking around the Sea of Galilee and Galilea. That was his main place of ministry, but not always. I mean, typically, traditionally, when there was a, a religious festival like Easter, for example, they would go down to Judea to celebrate in Jerusalem at the temple. And then when the festival was over, they would go back up to Galilee. So I don't know what, what if you have a mental picture of the country of Israel at the time of Jesus. 
So let me <coughs> draw it for you and let's try to imagine, to imagine what it looks like. It's very simple. The, the land of Israel is like a long, narrow, vertical strip. Okay? One side, at the west, or so your side west, is the, the, Mediterranean, uh, the, sea, the Mediterranean Sea. The, oh, sea of Medi How do you say it? Mediterranean Sea. Okay. And then you have one big lake in the north, one lake in the south, and the Jordan River connecting the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea in the south. Okay? And that uh, River Jordan roughly makes the border, the limit. On the east of the Jordan, it's pagan land. Pagan land. You, want, you, you don't want to go to pagan land. It's a place you don't go to because they're full of pagans. Right? <laughs> And now that narrow strip of, of, of Israel is divided in three-thirds. Very easy. The northern third, where the Sea of Galilee is, is Galilee. Okay? Then the southern third, where Jerusalem is, is situated, is Judea. And then in the middle, you have Samaria. Oh, this really, really, you don't want to go there. Uh, uh, I travel regularly, well, once, uh, maybe once a year or so, to uh, Southern California. And I remember my first visit there, San Diego, California. I know people here think, who would want to go to California? <laughs> By the way, just a little reflection. When I go to California and I tell them that regularly I travel to Kansas, do you know what they say? <laughs> what, are you, what are you doing? You know. <laughs> anyway. So I remember the first time I was there, you know, I was kind of excited, you know, California. But what I really wanted to do is go to Mexico. Just cross the border and see Mexicans in Mexico. You know, and then my friends there, you know what they told me? You don't want to go there. And I said, actually, yeah, I want to go there. And they kept repeating me, no, you don't want to go there. And I really wanted to go there, but no way. No one would drive me there. It took like... I don't know, five or seven years till I found a friend who would really bring me there because people would keep telling me, no, you, you don't want to go there. That's exactly the feelings the Jews had about going to Samaria. You don't want to go there. You know, Samaria is between uh, Galilee and Judea. Samaria is packed, the population there, the Samaritans, it's a mixed a kind of historical mix of, uh, well, immigrants, uh, migrants from the different uh, population moves when the, the people of Israel were deported to Babylon. So, you know, Babylonians, they were moving peoples around, and they had moved the people of Israel to Babylon and brought other peoples from other countries there. And, but there had... In, 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 in Israel at the time, there were some people left, like the poor of the poor <laughs> were left there. They, they were not deported. And they mixed with these migrants. We don't like migrants, do we? I mean, look in the Western world today. The Western people don't like migrants. As much as the Jews really... Well, let's, 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 let's make it clear. They hated the Samaritans. Well, no problem with Samaria as a country. It's like us Belgians when we, uh, we think about France. 
So France is our th southern neighbor. France is a great country, a beautiful country. Too bad there's so many French people. <laughs> Same with Samaria. <laughs> great country. Too bad there's so many Samaritans. <laughs> the Jews hated the Samaritans. Actually, even the word Samaritans, they would not use it because it would, it would make their mouth dirty. And when they had to use it, they would spit on the floor. You know, Jesus told a story, by the way, uh, about the Samaritans. You remember that story, the, the good Samaritan? Well, this is something Jews would never use, that expression. You know, good and Samaritan in the same sentence. <coughs> and just, just for a little story, you, you know that story of Jesus saying about the Samaritans? Yeah, you know that story, yeah? You know, the, it's about, actually, it's about a, a religious Jew asking a question about, you know, about the kingdom of God, and then Jesus tells a story about the Good Samaritan. And at the end of the story, he asked the guy, so who was the good man in the story? You remember that story, yeah? You remember the, the, the answer of the, the, the religious Jew? He said, well, it was the man who did good. He would never use the word Samaritan. Because, because I mean, we don't, we don't like Samaritans. You know, they, the Jews hated so much the Samaritans that they would do as they had to walk, let's say, from, from Jerusalem, Judea, back to Galilee, they would walk the whole way around. They would cross the Jordan River into pagan land, and you know we don't like pagans. But, you know, Samaritans, it's even worse. So they would cross the Jordan River, go into pagan land, move up, you know, walk up pagan land, and cross the Jordan River again in Galilee to avoid by all means any contact with Samaritans. <coughs> and let's, let's look at a very famous, very well-known story in the Gospel of John chapter 4. Would you turn with me, open your Bibles or your phone or your tablet, whatever, in John chapter 4. <coughs> I think it's important that you have the text in front of us. And if you don't have, well, find someone with a Bible and... So, John chapter 4, very well-known story. Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Okay, we know that story very well. And we're not going to talk a lot about Jesus and the Samaritan woman, actually. <coughs> As we pretend to be disciples of Jesus, well, I propose we look through the eyes of the disciples of Jesus in that story. And we try to... Feel their feelings in the story. And by the way, I encourage you to read the Bible that way. And you will see how powerful the text can be when we put ourselves in their shoes, literally in their sandals in this situation. And so let's, let's try to figure what, what they, you know, what they, they felt. Okay? So we're reading John chapter 4. And here... We see that we found Jesus and the crew, his crew, his team, disciples, uh, in one of these journeys between the different regions. In this case, they were in Judea, Jerusalem. And if you look uh, in verse 3, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. So we have, you know, that use, you know, he was used to go up and down. And now comes verse 4, strange verse. Now he had to go through Samaria. You see, if you didn't know that whole story about Samaritans, yeah, of course, he had to go from there to there. He has to pass through there. That's obvious. But once you know the story, 
And let's imagine we are one, we're, we're the disciples, right? And so Jesus tells us, okay, let's go back home. Oh, finally, we're tired about that festival. We're happy that it's done. We, go, we can finally go back home. Okay, great. And then Jesus tells them, okay, we have to go to Samaria. Okay, what do we feel then? Well, wait a minute, Jesus. This is not the right plan. If you put the religious Jew GPS on, it says, avoid Samaria. You don't want to go there. Probably they said that. And I hear Jesus say, yeah, I want to go there. No, you don't. You know that, that same talk about you know, my friends about Mexico. Same talk. And Jesus finally has, of course, he's the boss. So he says, no, we go. We have. That's the, that's the verb in verse 4. He had to go through Samaria. Strange, huh? It's like an obligation. And so they're on the way. Let's imagine what did the disciple feel. Okay. Okay, he really wants to go there. I remember my first trip to Mexico. Let's make it quick. You see? <laughs> if we really have to go there, let's move. You know, if we, you know, we, we start in the morning, we can be home by early afternoon. If we walk fast. And really, if we, like, if we cross, like, Samaria in the middle of the day when the sun is high up, big chances we won't meet anybody. So we should be good. Let's be on our way. And he, here they go. Well, unfortunately, they forgot the picnic. Who was in charge? I don't know. Maybe Judas, maybe Peter. I don't know. Anyway, they forgot the picnic. So they find themselves right in the middle of Samaria and Sishar. That's kind of the capital of the, 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 the area. And really, they need to eat. <coughs> so, disciples talk together, think, okay, so Jesus, here's this, there's a well, nice place, nice bench, just sit and relax, we'll quickly go in town, you know, this time of the day, there shouldn't be too many people out, so we should be able to make this quick. We'll go, grab some food, meet as less people as possible, get out of the town, and eat on our way and rush our way out of here and go back to home, go back to our comfort zone, go back home. And this is what happens. Huh? They leave Jesus and they go into town. Now, there's, of course, the text uh, starting verse 7. There's a whole story about a lady at the well and Jesus. But remember, we are, in the, we, are, we are considering the story through the eyes of the disciples. So we have no clue of what's happening there, right? We're rushing down in town, trying to find an open supermarket so that we can buy some food as quick as possible and be back to Jesus so we can be on our way. So we have no clue what's happening there. So if we want to put ourselves in the situation, then we have to go, well, verse 27. Look at verse 27. Just then, the disciples returned. So we, we imagine we're back from the town, hurrying up our way to Jesus, right? And look at the text. They were surprised to find him talking with a woman. Ooh, ooh. 
You know, from far, they're approaching Jesus, and he's not alone anymore. There's a lady there at the well, and this does not look right for multiple reasons. Actually, it was, I mean, bad, bad, bad. <laughs> Jesus is talking with a woman. Not good. A woman out that time of the day, mm-mm, there's something not right. You know, you don't go and get water in, in the middle of the day. That's, that's only people who don't want to be seen. So that must be something wrong there. And obviously, it's a Samaritan. Pooh. You see, so bad, bad, bad. Something is not going right. That's what they must have felt. And they approached Jesus. But listen, that's almost a funny text. Huh? But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? You know, they kind of use Jesus saying and doing strange, strange things. And they've learned not to ask too much so that they don't look too stupid. Yeah, really. So they go back. They see that lady, Jesus talking with her. Something is going wrong, but they don't dare to ask anything. They look like it's natural. <laughs> but what do they have in mind? Okay, we got the food package. Let's go to Jesus and let's, let's get on our way. Now look at the next. Verse 28. Then, leaving her water jar... The woman went back to the town and said to the people, etc. <coughs> because actually, we are, we are the disciples, right? So what, what happens there that we see? We see the lady talking to Jesus. As we come nearer, we don't know what's happening. We don't dare to ask any question. And then we see that lady who is actually going middle of the day to take water, leaving her jar there. That makes no sense. This, this situation is getting even Worse, weird. That lady is leaving her jar and actually going in their direction. Of course, they come from the town, right? And so she, she's coming to them. They must have crossed eyes, by the way. Yeah, I mean, imagine. They must have crossed eyes. And no one dares to ask any question. And no one, everybody's silent. She goes this way. She seems all like, you know, good. She seems like overwhelmed. You know, when you realize, uh, anyway, let's stop for a moment. You realize that lady was avoiding by all means any contact with people, and now she was going back to talk to the people. She are originally avoided. So she must have been excited. It was her super day. <laughs> really? Well, we know when we read her, her conversation, we know that she had dis discovered the Messiah. <laughs> You know, for her, that was the super day of her life. So she must have been so excited, but the disciples had no clue. <laughs> they were just full of questions they, they would not dare to ask. And that lady crosses all excited. You know, it's, it's such a funny story. She leaves her jar, she crosses, they cross, they look at eyes, she's like, ah, and then they're like, what is happening here? And, and you feel their, their worry when you read the... <laughs> You know, verse 31, well, well, of course, the whole story about the lady in the town talking to the people, we don't know about because we're the disciples, right? <laughs> we don't know. She's just oh, happy going to the town, and we don't know what's happening there. We just, we just we're the disciples going to Jesus, and we're, so we're there, verse 30, 32. <laughs> No, no, first, 31 first. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. <laughs> 
Let's get going. You see that feeling? And now, Jesus is so gifted to say things people don't understand. You know, so regularly, when Jesus talks to people, we like, we like to see, you know, Jesus is the wonderful messenger. He talks about the gospel all the time. But often, he's very hard to understand. If you, actually, we don't have time, but if you look back to the conversation with the woman at the well, I mean, they talk like this, right? <laughs> if you think of Jesus and Nicodemus, you know, being born again and him saying, should I go back in the, uh, in the wombs of my mother? And a conversation like this. And look at this now. So th imagine we're the disciples, right? We go to Jesus. Now we get food. We have to go in town. Please eat and get us going. Verse 32. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Oh, what is this now? <coughs> well, now they're completely lost. And, and, and you see this in, in, in verse 33. Then his disciples said to each other, they still don't ask a question to Jesus, by the way, huh? could someone have brought him food? You see, they're completely lost. And then, of course, Jesus, you know, he keeps going. Huh? He keeps going. Verse 34, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Now they are really, really completely lost. What is he talking about? You see, the only thing they see and they want is let's just eat and get out of here. And it seems like Jesus is somewhere else. It's some, like he's talking of a completely different situation. He seems like he's not living in the same world as they are. It seems like he's thinking and seeing things they don't see. He talks about food, more important than the food they brought. They had to go. They did not want to go. You know, what is this? And Jesus keeps going. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? Well, that was a kind of a proverb of the time in a very agricultural context. It was very simple. You sow a seed, you wait four months, and there's the harvest. So... <coughs> It was easy for them to count. You sow, four months, harvest. So they had an expression, a kind of a proverb saying, you know, relax, guys. Everything has a time, just four months and the harvest. It means there's a time for everything. No urgency, relax, let's not be pressed for four months and the harvest. You know, it'll come, on, you know, there's a time for everything, that idea of relax, don't press. <laughs> You know, four months in the harvest. But I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. Open your eyes, literally lift up your eyes and look at the fields. I don't know if there were fields there. Probably not. It was close to the city. There was a well, probably... <coughs> Well, there's another event that actually happens at the same time. Uh, and, and, and to realize what's happening, it, we have to go back to verse 30, a little bit back up in the text. And verse 30, look at this. They came out of the town and made their way toward him. So him is Jesus, and they, who are they in the text? Would you tell me? 
yeah, the people from the town there, right? Because the, the lady, you know that funny, excited lady <laughs> crossing their way, went back to town and told them, listen, I met a guy, and this may well be the Messiah. And so it raised such an interest that a whole crowd, they wanted to meet with that Jesus Messiah, the promised prophet, the one who was coming in the name of the Lord to make all things right. They wanted to see this man. And so here they come out of the town. Of course, the disciples, they don't know about what was happening in the town before. They just crossed, the, you know, they crossed the lady, and now they speak with Jesus. Strange conversation about food he has they don't see. That seems to be more important than the food they brought. And Jesus is telling them, well, you better lift up your eyes and see what's happening here. And then they turn and they see, whoa, this crowd coming. What do you think they felt? We really need to get out of here. <laughs> well, that's my guess. The text does not say. But probably... <laughs> They felt even more pressure to leave this place. Now the whole crowd was coming after them. You see, the whole point of that story is about what do you see? And what do you not see? You know, what did they see? They, they were like, you know, their sight, their, their vision was, what, what did they see? What were they focused on, the disciples? Food? political, social situation, <laughs> danger as they felt it, as a dangerous place to be, or a bad place to be. They were seeing the people, the lady, then the crowd, as people they did not want any relationship with. They just want to go back home, please. Let's go back to my comfort. So they, you see, this is what they saw. And in their mind, there was that idea, well, you know, maybe one day there's, there's a kind of a hope for Samaritans, but not now, not today, not us. Four months in the harvest. And then Jesus comes, yeah, you say this. In a certain way, you try to ex escape the situation, but let me tell you. And then Jesus says, there's two, there are two verbs Jesus use, uses here. The first is, well, here you have... Mm -mm, Open your eyes. Literally, and maybe you have another version saying, lift up your eyes. And that's, the, that's, that's more literal. It's like, okay, lift up your eyes. <laughs> your, your eyes are stuck on your little, needy, little personal situation. <laughs> on your needs, on your physical food, hunger, <laughs> uh, fear. <laughs> you know, your own, <laughs> your own little life. <laughs> And your eyes are so stuck there that you don't realize what's happening. So lift up your eyes and look beyond your little situation there. There's something happening much more important. And that thing is so important. It is actually what I've been sent for. You know when he says, I've got such a food and that food is due to do what the, what the Father asked me to do, why I'm here for. Because he came to search and to save the lost. All the lost, including the Samaritans. But the disciples could not see this because they were so stuck to their little problem, 
life. So Jesus, please lift up, go, I mean, lift up your eyes. And the second verb is, is, is in our version, it's strange, huh? Uh, open your eyes and look. Yeah, okay. Actually, the verb look is like, it's, you could translate it by focus or discern. You know, it's like same when you use your phone to make a picture. It's like blur, and then whoop, it gets clear. Now I can take the picture. That's focusing. And you see, focus works with distance. <laughs> you know, when you focus on something, the rest behind is blur, right? Okay? You see where I'm going? If you focus on your little life, then the rest is blur. That's actually what the disciples were doing. They were focusing on, you know, what was in front of their eyes, their needs, their food, their comfort, their land, I mean, their religion, everything. But the, so, so the Samaritans, for them, they were, that was blur. And Jesus is telling them, well, first lift up your eyes, look a little beyond your reality, and focus there. Look at what God is actually in the process of doing. Don't you see what's happening? And he said, look, it's, it's ripe. It's ready for harvest. Actually, God has been doing such a work. He's bringing it to us. So realize what's happening. Discern what's happening. We, we like to pretend to be disciples of Jesus too. So we should walk in the same way Jesus walked. We should see in the same way Jesus saw. And often we are so much like the disciples. We're all about eating. <laughs> We're all about our, you know, our, 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 and it's, and, and it's not wrong, but the problem is we're so much fixed, you know, limited to our, you know, material needs, to our life, to our situation. And, and of course, there are some worries about living on this earth, on this earth but, but there's so much more, there's so much more beyond, and we just don't see it most of the time, like the disciples. We're so worried, okay, there's a, and, and the rest, it will come, you know, four months in the harvest. Now, wait a minute, let me take care of my own stuff first. And, and really, Christians, we are so much about our life our toys, our rights. <laughs> even as a church, not only personally, even as in churches, it's amazing church programs. When I travel to the U.S., I'm overwhelmed by church programs. There's a program for everything. This morning I heard there's a program for bringing your baby back home. That's amazing. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it's good. I mean, nothing wrong with this, but I never heard of that. <laughs> I mean, it's... I mean, it's amazing, and I, I really appreciate that, really. But there's a program for everything. <laughs> you know, you can, you can, I mean, you could bring your bed and live here because you get everything. There's every, and that's great. But there's a world out there behind these doors, and mind you, God is at work there. He's in the process of doing something, and maybe we don't even see it. Maybe we need to hear him tell us, please, come on, Hillcrest people, lift up your eyes and focus. Not here, but fo because then the rest is blur. 
And sometimes the others, you know, the, the other, the one who is lost without Jesus, the homeless, the poor, the migrant, or just my neighbor or my colleague, he just stays blur. God is at work. He is touching the hearts of the people. There are people out there searching for Jesus. Actually, they're just waiting for us. They're waiting for you. Because <laughs> Jesus has left. He's present by his spirit within us. He wants to help us to see with his own eyes so that we can be his hand his voice, his heart, his compassion on the earth today. And let's stop thinking, well, you know, four months in the harvest. Because the fields are there, they're ripe for harvest. I, I want to encourage you just to, just to pray today, but even more tomorrow when you maybe forget about the Sunday message, if you could just remember, and I, I want to challenge you to pray tomorrow morning, today, God, help me to lift up my eyes beyond my own little situation and discern what you're doing in this world. Not the world, but my world. You know, your world, your neighbors, your colleagues, your relatives, people around you. <laughs> Yeah, it's e easy to pray for the world. That's easy. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm, your world. And that's not mine because that's your responsibility. It's not mine. Now, I challenge you to do this. But don't do it, I mean, quick and easy. Think about it. Because I am convinced God will answer that prayer. And you will see someone well, then you have to do something. And, I, and we're not talking about preaching the gospel. We're talking about showing love, showing Jesus, sharing Jesus simply. I mean, no, no big preaching involved. Just, just be with the people. Huh? Just show them the love of Jesus. Huh? But imagine now you op he opens your eyes and you don't do what you should. Ooh. So please, please, let's think about this. But I challenge you to take the step. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, the Bible, and the way it teaches us today. The way it comes to our own lives and pushes us out of our comfort zone. Help us to see with the eyes of Jesus. Even if it puts us a little bit in danger, a little bit out of our comfort, so that we can be Jesus in this world, especially among the lost around us, because you're at work there and you wait for me to get out and meet them and, and work with you uh, for the salvation of the lost. Amen.